Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Melba Matthew and Dur Lore, your hosts for this season. In this season, we are going to dive into the difficult and complex task of being a part of a community or multiple communities. On this episode, we're going to consider the topic of community from the male perspective. A couple weeks ago, we got to hear from uh, Asian American woman, Kathy, and she offered such a rich insight into how there is so much diversity, even when we look at um, specific genders. And so for today, we're going to be hearing from a few different male voices, including our very own Durlor, and share how his gender, how being a man affects his ability and his experience with being in community. We want to also include a a few different voices um, just to hear from their perspective, um, from different brothers of the faith, Asian American brothers, and what are the issues that come up for them as they think about community? What are the the blessings and challenges that they have experienced? And as we hear those, um, we hope that it also uh, props for you, you know, what different brothers may be experiencing and maybe even points of solidarity that you could relate to or maybe broaden your perspective about what men struggle with in, in the context of community. My experience as a Hmong American male is probably not going to be very representative of a lot of my Hmong Christian brothers and sisters. And what I mean is I grew up in a shaman family, but around predominantly white spaces, whereas uh, the very vast majority of my peers, my second gen Hmong American Christian brothers, it's very likely that they grew up in Hmong ethnic specific Christian churches. And so just right off the bat, I just wanted to uh, give that bit of a disclaimer. But what could be interesting about that is there may be other Asian American members of this community who grew up maybe like in a predominantly Hindu space or predominantly Muslim space um, and might find a point of connection between your story in that sense, even though they might not be Hmong American. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, very, very true. But nonetheless, um, within kind of Hmong American culture, we all share, whether you're a Christian or shaman or, or whatever else, um, we all kind of share like this clan-based social and familial system where, you know, members of your clan or your last name, it's those who you congregate with the most. And so what this means for how I relate to different uh, Hmong Christian communities is, for example, I have some Hmong American friends who are actually related to my wife and I through my wife's clan. And so if we were to keep tradition with uh, this set of friends, um, they would actually address us formally as uncle and auntie, Mm -hmm. even though they're a few years older than us, right? But just kind of through um, how the clans are related in the tiers, like the higher hierarchy, they would address us as uncle and auntie. But, you know, I'm like, forget that. Let's just address each other by first name kind of thing. Uh, but with that said, so then that kind of uh, how we address each other kind of open and close certain doors for kind of the, the churches that I might feel really at home with or that I might, the Hmong American churches, I should specify. For example, so my wife and I, we 
interviewed at a pretty traditional Hmong American church where it was uh, custom to uh, address Alice as, instead of Alice, instead of my first name, you would call her um, the wife of, of Durr rather than just just Alice. And so, again, this is true whether you're a Hmong shaman or Hmong Christian. And so, you know, we were pretty sure that we wouldn't kind of feel at home in a church community where they couldn't just call Alice, Alice. As I was kind of processing this, what I found interesting within myself uh, was that in a, in a Hmong Christian community, I want to address everyone by their first name. I realized that within my own immediate family and clan, I probably would address the women in my immediate family or my clan um, more formally through titles because that's how they were introduced to me and um, that's all I've ever known of how to address them. So I just kind of found that, you know, so I asked myself, am I like contradicting myself here, right? Like on the one hand, I don't want to do that. On the other hand, I do do that when it comes to my own clan and my own family. So I'm not sure how other Asian American groups who have kind of parallel ways of relating to each other might kind of navigate that. So that that's kind of in a nutshell of ways in which we feel welcomed into a community is just like through how we address each other. That's been really huge, especially for Hmong Americans as like a, such a clan based, you know, society. And it sounds like maybe there was even some discomfort in the particular way of respecting you as a man and then seeing that contrast between how your wife was addressed and, you know, wanting to maybe work against those patriarchal systems, but then still work with, you know, the relational hierarchy in a sense when it is not as gender-based or when it's more equally applied across genders. Like you get called uncle, but she can also be called auntie. Right. So it's not um, consistent (laughs) across the board is kind of what we're seeing, right? Especially for the 1.5 1.5 second and third gen folks where we're learning in which communities do I observe these traditions and to what degree um, versus other communities. Um, even when it's with just my peers, we might address each other with uh, informally just by first name, but then the same peers might begin to address each other more formally when all of a sudden there's like the first gen who are present with us who kind of like maybe reinforce that a little bit. So I've seen that happen too. Mm. When they're in the presence of maybe first gen, do does Alice still get acknowledged, or is she referred to as Odor's wife? Um, if they are kind of true, you know, first gen born and spent the majority of their life in Southeast Asia, then they're gonna address Alice uh, not by her first name, but more of like you know the wife of Dur kind of title. But my my siblings um, would just call her Alice. <laughs> So yeah, it's she might experience different uh, titles and names, you know, within one family gathering, depending on who's talking to her. When seeking communities of faith, I look for acceptance, specifically to those feeling like an outsider. I look for communities uh, with people I can trust, where everyone feels like they can be vulnerable and share ideas and their thoughts. Um, Because in Asian communities, it can be difficult to open up. Being in community with other Asian American Christians, I don't have to explain my jokes or the struggles I might have with my Indian parents. 
it feels different from being with my family because there is no social pressure and it feels different from hanging out with my friends there is not only a unity in our culture and experiences but also a unity in our faith that brings us together in asian american churches or to be specific in indian american churches i felt the need to be either indian or american um, my hybridized identity caused a lot of confusion among recent immigrants and second generation people alike um, the struggle to be like one of them is very real I could see cliques in many Asian American communities which work on such hyphenations and not considering the other aspects of my life or personality. Um, and that, that, that pressure to be conformed to one of, one, one of them uh, would really put me in jeopardy at many times because I'm like, oh, I'm not like either of you, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. What Asian Americans have often labeled me as being like too Asian, which is also what regular Americans label me as. They, you can see them saying things like, ah, you're too Indian, and you do like very Indian things. Or they're always like, can you teach me how to do some Indian things? Because I want to be culturally, I don't know, I want to feel like America is a food court for uh, adopting different kinds of cultures. I have really been thinking a lot about uh, the roles of my culture and the roles of my faith and uh, kind of how they were the same for a lot of my life. Uh, I didn't really see them as different because I grew up in a church uh, that is primarily Indian. Everybody was Indian there. And so everything that my parents taught me about the faith when I was younger, um, I've come to realize now was seen through the lens of our culture. And so that posed a problem for me in the last few years when I started to recognize my challenges with our culture and our traditions, um, how those don't necessarily fit perfectly with the culture that I grew up in. I was born in America and raised in America. And so um, as expected, you know, the two cultures clashed a lot and they, they tend to clash more as I get older. Um, but the problem that I faced was that when I challenged the culture, it felt like I was challenging my faith. And that might seem really obvious, but when you grow up with those two things mixed together the entire time, um, it's really difficult uh, to be in that position. I'll give you an example of how that is. I mean, when my, when my dad and I uh, have discussions or disagreements about... Um, you know, cultural differences, how I don't see uh, a problem with, you know, uh, interracial marriages, or I don't see problems with women serving in the church um, to any degree. Um, and there are differences there uh, from the previous generation. Uh, I, I hear the Bible quoted a lot. And so for me, that wasn't just striking because, you know, I knew that there was a cultural difference, but I knew that there was a faith difference there. And so that, that really, that shook me a lot. And it, it was a blessing in disguise because it prompted me to dig into the Bible a little bit more. I needed to look in there for myself and kind of see what God had to say uh, about the matter. So that's really been a blessing over the last year or so. I, I've been doing a lot of study and interpretation of the Bible. And I've learned to reconcile uh, a lot of the challenges that I used to have. But the biggest takeaway that I've had is that I've separated the culture and the faith um, which doesn't mean it will always be separate, but when I've grown up with them completely mixed, it 
took me actively separating them and understanding how they're different um, to really, you know, not have my faith challenge whenever I have a cultural challenge. And additionally, uh, now when I speak to, uh, you know, someone of an older generation or someone who's more traditional with the cultural aspects um, of our community, uh, I don't really, I don't judge their faith anymore. Uh, I'm really trying to see things through their lens because that's their experience, uh, experiencing the faith through their culture. Um, and I need to kind of meet them where they're at. And I think it's really helped me and made my discussions with others way more productive. Um, and yeah, I'm just really thankful for that. I think that's a huge part of uh, the community, um, like a challenge that we face. Uh, I think especially in males too, I think we, we tend to not take the time to separate to those two things out. We just kind of experience it and then we regurgitate that experience to anybody that we interact with. But we have trouble sometimes kind of taking another person's perspective. Um, and so it really, it opens up the opportunity for reconciliation between the culture and the religion when you learn to separate them out a little bit, uh, especially if those two things were mixed your entire life. And uh, like I previously mentioned just briefly, um, that may not be the case forever, and I'm starting to realize that. I think as I've separated them out and looked at them separately, um, in the future, I can see myself kind of getting more involved in the cultural aspect of things because I know that uh, my faith won't be on trial when I challenge cultural aspects of the church. Uh, and that's really been helpful for me and it's given me a new hope to try to give back to the church and not just totally step out of it. So uh, I hope God guides that and uh, we'll see what happens. All right. So Melba, what are some of your um, initial reactions to um, hearing that? Initially, I thought, so I'm going to sharing about this experience of challenging the culture a little bit within a religious context. And honestly, I thought like, you know, it's nice that you didn't have to maybe challenge it before, because in some ways the culture is slanted towards um, privileging men. And maybe now it's more salient because of other issues like interracial marriage or, you know, peers, other like female peers, maybe wanting, discovering like their call in ministry. And so now there's like these prompts for needing to challenge it or examine it a little bit more. I'm hearing Seven talk about like challenging the previous generations and maybe using his privilege to do that as a male member of the community, you know, as a son talking to his father. I definitely got a lot of the same things. So what I'm sensing is, as I'm listening, it, it's this need to redefine, right, what masculinity is uh, in a South Asian context for him. That starts with maybe maybe like exposing the toxic masculinity, right? Um, but then in light of our faith, if we were to challenge or confront certain aspects of this toxic masculinity, which has oftentimes been like co-opted with like, you know, scripture and faith of a lot of culturally conservative people groups. Mm -hmm. And it, like, as he said, it feels like you're challenging <laughs> the very scriptures themselves. Right? And how dare you kind of thing. But so I see it as a very necessary work to, to kind of redefine then what, what it means to be, a South Asian male or a Southeast Asian male while respecting and honoring the tradition and respecting and honoring what uh, scripture teaches. 
Yeah, but by taking that approach of on, you know being empathetic to different perspectives, that's in a sense redefining masculinity mm-hmm. for the also the purpose of understanding faith better and reconciling faith. Totally. For me, that was one of the uh, huge stark contrasts that I found him sharing from my own experience uh, on the point of how he grew up in uh, his Indian ethnic identity and his Christian faith identity all kind of within the same the same bubble. In his adult life, he then had to, to learn how to kind of identify how they're different and separate them. And for me, it was a total opposite uh, where I grew up in a shaman context and came to Christian faith. And so my struggle was the, the exact opposite. I had to, I felt the need to integrate them somehow or make sense of those two things, which felt very fragmented in my own life. So I was just deeply fascinated that that was his experience and, and probably a lot of people like him and is, you know, that experience. So I, I really took away a lot from that as well. One issue that needs to be addressed uh, for men in building a more Christian-centric community is that uh, we have to be okay with sharing things within the confidence of the community. Uh, once men take the leap of faith of being vulnerable and in sharing their struggles, we can build a strong level of trust uh, that lift each of us up. I think as a community, we should focus on creating kingdom-oriented male who uh, males who values humility responsibility trust and compassion i've seen many males in church being irresponsible and not really trustworthy in their relationship or even their character most of them show off their possessions and want validation um, toxic masculinity and gender expectations are also prevalent among christian men i would appreciate more honesty and reliability from christian men so that I'm not actually pushed to validate them for their material possession, but I, I can focus on what is more deeper, you know. Um, and this, this is actually one of the causes of depression among Christian men. Uh, at least I can talk in, in, in context of Indian American communities, that they are struggling with depression because they're, they need validation for what they're doing. Or what they're having. The kind of Christianity that is often expressed in Asian American circles uh, feels very white for the most bit. Um, it's all looking to be like Hillsong or Bethel, or at least that is the observation that has stuck with me the most. Yeah, and I think as a as a male Christian, I think it's been great finding other Christian men to sharpen me in my faith journey. But um, I think on occasion, I feel I wouldn't be able to be as close to Christian women as I am with men or um, as openly um, challenge or um, attempt to be as close to other Christian women as I could with other Christian men. Um, and I think that comes with the um, notion or uh, inner dealings of pride and fear of shame or guilt or um, perceptions of other people and how other people see who I am. Being a male member of the Christian community is really strange for me. Uh, and I say that 
as I think about my dad's role as a male member of the Christian community where he he was very he wanted myself and my sister to read the Bible and pray and things like that but he was in no way this kind of spiritual leader uh, for the family or for a church or anything uh, he was very administrative like behind the scenes networking kind of guy um, and so and my other uncles too uh, many of them didn't have this spiritual leader, male authoritative kind of vibe at all, or that kind of, they didn't have that kind of language, nor did they have a uh, a disposition of that sort. Uh, and being in the States, most Christian circles, there is a unspoken social contract that I feel like is put upon me as a dude to take up some sort of leadership kind of position or I'm supposed to be a, this kind of shepherd which makes me feel very uncomfortable because it makes me feel like I'm not working with anybody and I'm working alone and, and everything has to come out of my head. It, it feels like a debilitating amount of pressure to put on one person. Um, but so much of Christian community in the States works like that. Um, and I don't like it and so I try not to I try not to hold any kind of leadership positions in church or anything like that, which is why music is, for me, the safest place to be if I'm part of a church um, or if I'm like serving or helping out or anything like that in the Christian community. I think for men in particular, I can't speak to white men because they are uh, a different breed of male than I understand. Um, speaking to South Asian men, I think they need to rethink who their role models for faith are and rethink what it means for them and their families or their sisters and their mothers to be um, a part of the church, taking into account their faith heritage and maybe uh, taking into account other religio-cultural aspects of uh, Indian heritage that they may be afraid of. I really appreciate um, just the level of vulnerability that I was sensing in his voice and, and what he was sharing. Um, just even with like kind of the the expectation of, you know, males being a leader or a spiritual leader of some kind which I saw some kind of like toxic masculinity in that, that it just, we just assume that males are supposed to lead. And then also the contrast of how he shared that, like he didn't really see that from his dad, if I, if I heard him correctly. So it's, it's already like a contradiction. Like if I, from that scene that, how am I supposed to be that? How am I supposed to be what you want me to be? I really appreciate just, yeah, how raw he shared. What about you? What, what kind of struck you um, from that? Yeah. I, gosh, so much about that struck me because I see the same dynamic in a way in like my church context. It, men held a lot of the administrative positions and it was kind of implied that only they should. Mm -hmm. And, but the spiritual leadership 
you know, an influence came a lot from the mothers and from women. And even as youth, my generation of youth and my cohort, I guess, the, it was the girls who were leading worship, who were singing, who were praying, who volunteered to pray, who um, wanted Bible studies. And, you know, the boys were more inclined to play guitar and drums and found maybe shied away from like being more, providing more spiritual leadership, even though it wasn't even called, the women weren't doing it necessarily to be leaders, but because in, in that context, it felt like I saw more hunger, more interest in that maybe because the boys also didn't have the disposition to take on those administrative type leadership roles. And like we heard, maybe they also wanted to be more in a collaborative environment, you know, like in a band setting in the worshiping. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they found their place and have shied away in a sense from taking on the administrative leader position. And yet, um, when you ask them, like, who are your role models there, you know, in maybe the popular Christian culture, it's all men, right, that we can name because there's that dynamic of women maybe not holding those mm-hmm. positions or being credited for their leadership. Yeah, it's, there's so much going on there that um, I feel like it kind of exposes, like, people trying to fit in, but then also when what we name and w- w- the lived experience versus the, like, spoken about what we say, oh, this is the leader is different than the actual lived experience of, oh, who actually influenced my life and my spirituality. Right. Is there, um, would you say that kind of correlation between women and spiritual leadership and men and kind of administrative, like maybe decision-making leadership, is that, would you say, is pretty characteristic of a lot of you know, South Asian type communities or, or not always the case? Um, at least from what I've seen, yes. Um, I think there, there are different waves or pockets where that's different. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I ask that because, I mean, you can be obviously a male and be very gifted, you know, in, in whatever kind of spiritual giftings, but if you're already taught, um, in a certain context that, you know, being a male, you're not supposed to lead in that particular way, obviously that can be very, um, you know, prohibitive and it can be very, very well, I can't do the thing that I, I feel naturally gifted to do. So you're kind of like selling yourself short maybe or doing a disservice to the community by not expressing your full array of giftings if you're already you know molded um, and expected to lead in a certain way. That's kind of what I'm sensing. Is that is that some of kind of what he was sharing? Does that ring true to that or? Yeah, I think there is some pressure seeing that like put upon women to be a leader in a certain way, like, oh, you should be preaching, you should be, especially if their father held those positions. Um, I can think of several people who, you know, there would be one-off cases where their their father was like the preacher, you know, considered the leader amongst a group um, of families. And so that there'd be pressure on the, the son to also lead in that way. You know, that might not be how they're, you know, where they're gifted or where they want to lead. And, and even if they want to maybe include their female peers, but the pressure that they face doesn't allow space for that. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I'm trying to draw some parallels with perhaps in like the Hmong American community. I, I think the the pressure that that's rising up in me um, when I think about just kind of my family and extended family, I think is the pressure to kind of like what you said, kind of like to make the authoritative decisions, to kind of 
you know, we're going to live here and work here and decide kind of the financial factors and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be really, really um, honest in my family, in my marriage, like Alice, my wife is more gifted in that. So then I kind of entrust that to her, whereas I'm more gifted in kind of like that spiritual um, leadership. So I don't know, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're, <laughs> I think this is our version of like an egalitarian marriage where we want to just allow each other to um, operate out of our natural giftings. And I think our marriage has been better because of it. So um, yeah, wasn't intending on sharing that, but there it is. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome, Dur. I appreciate you for sharing that. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank all the other men who contributed to this episode. We got to hear various snippets, uh, different stories and perspectives. And I thank all of those who shared for their honesty and vulnerability. This is Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in each week as we discuss community and identity. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are.